Lingua Podcast Live from Dessau is broadcast from Middle Deutschland and features all things languages. The show is hosted by our teachers, presenting students and guests from all walks of language learning experiences. Next episode of Enlingua Podcast, live from Dessau, we're joined by our new American friend. His name is Richard. He's visiting Dessau for the first time, and he is a ESL instructor. He's also trilingual, bilingual. Is it, can you say trilingual? Uh, yeah, I mean, a little rusty on the Turkish, but... Okay, so what languages do you speak? So, I mean, I'm fluent in English and Spanish, and last time I took a test, it was B2 in Turkish. In Turkish? Yeah. Okay. So, the reason I'm excited for you to be here today is because you have traveled and lived in many different countries around the world teaching and studying languages. Yes. So, you're the perfect guest for our podcast. So, where do we begin? Do we begin... What language did you, what foreign language did you fall in love with first? Okay, so that would definitely be Spanish. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the first language I was actually introduced to, but um, it was the first one I really enjoyed. Okay. Because I originally studied Latin. It was a core class at the mm -hmm. school I went to. And um, that was what I first studied. But um, in my spare time, I was friends with the Spanish teacher's daughter. And so I was introduced to Spanish through that. So how old are or how old are how old were you when you were introduced to Latin? Sixth grade. So that would make me twelve. Okay. I think. Okay. Yeah. And what's the purpose of I also took Latin, I think, in the sixth grade? Mm -hmm. Why do they teach us Latin in the sixth grade? Is, and is it still in the curriculum? Uh, it's not a required course. It might be back in I, I went to a private developmental research school okay. in Florida part of Florida State University. Okay. It might still be required there because the university has a big Latin department, and so they need um, practice for their uh, upcoming teachers. Uh -huh. But um, it's not Maryland, where I'm originally from, actually has one of the supposed best Latin programs in the country. Okay. I didn't find it that way, but um, <laughs> we uh, lots of times they tell you to study Latin because it helps you on the SATs. Okay. There's an average of like 20 points increase for people who studied Latin who didn't. Um, <clears throat> so they could be better able to identify the roots. roots prefixes, the suffixes. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And uh, oftentimes your Latin one includes some basic Greek. So okay. there's for suffixes purposes. Because that's what, how the language was taught when I was taught. Mm hmm actually have some current information about this. Okay. In my high school now, they are teaching it as a living language where there's actually the speaking aspect of it. Interesting. Yes. But um, when I was taught, it was still taught as a dead language, which it is. And um, so we only had uh, reading, writing. And uh, so a lot of the language is, a, a lot of the class involves learning derivatives mm -hmm. and roots for English Okay. Long English words. So when did you take your first Spanish course? So then my first official Spanish course would have been in when we moved to Maryland, back to Maryland, mm -hmm. in the seventh grade. I took introductory Spanish. 
for like it was a really basic level course mm -hmm. and then um i actually took the first full year of spanish my eighth grade year okay was your teacher a native speaker no my teacher was a substitute for half the year <laughs> but no the, <laughs> okay. my my teacher was actually uh, american i did not have my first native speaker until spanish five my senior year in high school okay so the fifth year that you were taking spanish my first introduction to a native so speaker. after those four years of a non-native teacher could you communicate oh basic communication absolutely okay. yes okay. but um I find that having a native speaker really helps with comprehension. Okay. More than being able to, I could produce book level Spanish, uh -huh. but I had a lot of trouble understanding a native speaker's speed. And, you know, there are a lot of different accents. Lots of times when you're learning a foreign language, everybody has this, all the students have the same gringo accent right. when it's Spanish. And the teacher does as well. But okay. um, native speakers all have those little nuances that are different for each individual person, not let alone each of the different like 20 odd countries that speak Spanish. Okay. So when you were in high school, were there any types of like programs for you to travel to Spanish speaking countries? Unfortunately, no. And I hear there are programs like that in the States, like uh, education foundation and things like that. Okay. But I come from a really small town, so they didn't have the money for that. Okay to like support the students because it's expensive and so lots of times the schools will help the students pay for it and a lot of times i think the teacher has a connection back to home country or home city and they can organize that a little bit better than somebody sometimes else. like in my university that's the way it was okay yeah so, so you're in the 12th grade you've mm -hmm. got your first native spanish speaking teacher did you see a lot of growth in your language skills that year uh, in my accent, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, there was a lot of influence from her. Why do you think that's a, you know, why do you think when we try to mimic the accents as language learners, is that important because it makes us feel like we're speaking more fluent? I'm not sure. I, I know for me, I can speak on a personal level. Like, um, for me, it was just like, I... Well, one, I had a great deal of respect for her. Okay. And so that's generally necessary for you to try to emulate someone's accent. What country was she from? She was from Uruguay. Okay. And you even say that with a Spanish accent. Yes. Uh, I would pronounce sorry, that? Uruguay. Uruguay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but that's okay. Because, you know, this is funny. When I hear like Iran and Iraq, mm -hmm. my ears hurt. Yeah. Like Iran, Iraq. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, my first exposure to the names of those countries even, because I was never really good at geometry. Uh -huh. geometry. <laughs> Geo geography. Yeah. Okay. Third okay. time's a charm. Anyway, um, I was never good at geography. And so the first time I really studied and paid attention to those country names was in Spanish class. So okay. that was my first introduction to the pronunciation. So it's more natural for me uh -huh. to pronounce them that way sometimes. So, how do you say Mexico? Mexico. How do you say Honduras? Honduras. How do you say Bolivia? Bolivia. Argentina. Argentina. Chile. Chile. Ecuador. Ecuador. Okay, perfect. Um, so that was a, so that sparked your interest. Yes. yes. In, you know, because I was high interested school, in like, language in who, general. Who in high school is in, like I took. Spanish in high school um, but for you it sparked an interest in learning a foreign language for me uh, it didn't 
I studied three languages in high school. Okay. Uh, yeah, I started, I started with Spanish in eighth grade uh-huh. in middle school, and then I continued with that. And then every two years, I added another language. So by my senior year, yeah, my senior year, I was in the fifth, my fifth year of Spanish, my third year of Latin, and my first year of French. So you stuck with Latin. For three years, yeah. Good for you. Yeah. That's hard. It was uh, it was fun for me. It was like a puzzle. Okay. Because like I said, it was all reading and writing. Did you excel in foreign languages in, I did. in school? Okay. I did. I was actually I was like my, my parents used to joke because I had I had an A in Spanish, Latin and French and I had C in English <laughs> and they said I should be in the ESOL classes. Wait, explain to our listeners, what is an ESOL class? ESOL for English for speakers of other languages. Okay. It's, uh, it's what we have for the, whenever you have a, a newly arrived um, immigrant. Right. It's to learn the language for school. Coming to the school. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. So how did you continue your language learning journey after high school? So I originally, when I was in high school, I was taking some uh, courses at the university concurrently. I was ta- I was originally planning on taking um, computer science as mm-hmm. my major, but after I graduated high school, I decided Spanish and secondary education was going to be uh, my goal. Perfect. I wanted to be a high school Spanish teacher. Right. And so I started school at Salisbury University, <laughs> which is part of the Maryland University system, and um, and apparently one of the greatest. Small it is in the top liberal arts colleges in it is the country. Oh, I'm not sure it's ranking in liberal arts. In Let's say East Coast. University overall, it's in the top 100. Okay. So there. And uh, <laughs> But you're not wearing your sweatshirt today. So. I'm not. It's, it's in the wash. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason. It's okay. But uh, yeah, so I started in school. Um, I didn't do well. Mm-hmm. I was not prepared. I should have taken a gap year. And so I dropped out and not wanting to completely waste my time and at the same time escape from a lot of things i moved to mexico okay yes that is a bold it was move yes like that's what happens when you're young like i don't take more chances yes and it it put me in a different mindset for the rest of my life honestly because i will do it now okay yeah okay so you're in mexico Mm mm-hmm are you continuing, like, at this point, uh, you're able to communicate with people in the country? Yes. So it was it was a bit difficult at first. I would say for the first three months mm-hmm. because I had what was, what would you call a book Spanish. So I was, um, I, I had all the grammar and everything. It was all finished. It was all up in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I could, people could understand me easily. But I couldn't understand anybody, okay, unless they spoke extremely slowly, and it was uh, it was difficult. Mm-hmm. But um, I was teaching English, so I was in a an environment at a language center similar mm-hmm. to this. Okay, we taught um, we taught Portuguese, Italian, Dutch, German, Spanish, English, um, French, with uh, mostly native speakers. Okay, and um, anyway, so I always had people that spoke English around me. And okay. that was helpful. Uh, one thing I noticed was that my Spanish wasn't improving. My speaking wasn't improving. Okay. And um, so, well, there's actually a really boring reason to that. But well, I mean, this is interesting because, like, 
people get kind of stuck. Yes. Because they've reached a certain level of accuracy, a Call certain it. level of fluency, and how do you get they to that? They can interact, actually. So you can become overfluent okay. beyond your accuracy, and then your errors become, or rather your mistakes become errors, as we, we put it, okay. where it's like they become more solidified, and it's much more difficult to remove them. Give me an example. Um, okay. Like linguistically, like in Spanish. In Spanish, yeah. Okay, so I mean, yeah, we can translate into the English. <laughs> yeah, so, like, for example, if I would say something like, um, uh, "Me gustaría que hubiera sido conmigo," or something like that, and sometimes I would, I want to eat something. I, I would have liked you to come with me. <laughs> But actually, but it, it was flip flops. So I heard comida. Okay, so uh, yeah, it's it's it was either ido conmigo with me. Ah, conmigo, not comida. Not comida. Yeah. Like okay, yeah. food conmigo. Okay. So I would I would I would flip flop the verb tenses. So, okay. um, so you really should say. Let me see. Let me think. It's hard, like out of us conversation. Uh, me hubiera gustado que fuese conmigo. Right. Okay. I should have used the subjunctive for the second part, and. Uh, yeah, the perfect tense for the first part. And so you're talking about the nitty-gritty grammatical yeah, and, structures. Right, and it should come natural. Uh -huh. And one of the things is, um, so lots of times they equate Mexican Spanish with American English in that uh, there are certain aspects of grammar that we tend to ignore okay. or avoid, mm -hmm. not use, say them in different ways. Right. And so I was also combating that. Okay, like, that makes sense. Based on what I had learned in school, because right. I had learned like the full thing and so it was um causing a lot of mistakes but i was aware of it and as we all know from the sociolinguistics noticing hypothesis that is how you can overcome and continue to grow as long as you are aware of what you are saying and i learned for myself and when i'm teaching i also make my students do this um i if there's an error in their sentence mm -hmm. i don't have them just correct that error i have them say the whole sentence again mm -hmm. to get the you know the whole idea and the logic of the sentence rather than the rules of the grammar okay and because a lot of language is just you know it sounds right right like we call that our our native grammar right. our inherent grammar and um intuitive grammar okay and uh in order to do that you need to hear the whole thing so, so what kind of students were you teaching in mexico okay um so in mexico Let's see. I did have one child who was nine years old. Mm -hmm. That was the only child's class I have. But he was, um, I was more of a, baby, a babysitter for mm -hmm. him because uh, he was completely fluent. He had gone to an American school from kindergarten on. Okay, so you were a babysitter. So his, his mom and dad just needed like a couple hours off every day, <laughs> which is fine. And I understood why because... Yeah. That's my... He was a handful. I'm not going to put that out there. But, no, uh, he was a handful, right? Yeah, like, yeah. he was a handful, okay. yes. Okay. And um, let's see. The rest of my students were anywhere from... Like, a lot of, like, college-age students. Maybe they needed it for their job. Mm -hmm. Maybe they needed it to continue growing in their job. Like, there okay. were certain places that doubled their salary if they spoke English. Okay. And sometimes it was older, rich people who were bored. Okay. And wanted something to do. Okay. Like Magdalena, I had a woman. She was really nice. She hated me. <laughs> Absolutely hated me at the beginning because 
what we used to do is we would switch teachers halfway through the level. Uh-huh. And so I got her at level one, halfway through. Okay. She had had a Spanish speaker for the first half, and then she had a native speaker for the second half. And so she, uh, we were not allowed to speak Spanish. Okay. And so she assumed I didn't speak Spanish. And she, abs- she used to say things like, oh, I wish Israel were still here, things like that. <laughs> but that was also one of the things that made me love teaching because Israel the, was the name of the first teacher. Yeah, okay. Israel. Yeah. So at the end, but the, at the end of the level, she she came in one day mm-hmm. and she said, "Teacher, I have to tell you, I watch the news in English, and I've studied English for a long time at a lot of different courses, and I never learned anything. But for the first time." I was watching the news today, and I didn't understand everything, but I understood more than I ever have before. And she was so happy, and Excellent. that made me really happy. Okay. And then, uh, then she loved me. She took us out for lunch, and she was, was it great. was it difficult to hide your language skills? So, um, no, not at the basic levels because okay. they're just. I mean. So there's not a lot of talk like, oh, we got this guy from America. He's going to teach you English. Oh, by the way, like he well, speaks Spanish. They, well, no, because it doesn't. that doesn't matter because okay. th- there's a very strict rule at that school about okay. speaking. Any, everything has to be done in the target language. Okay. 100% okay. from the teacher. So um, when you have an, a non-native, they assume, or rather a native speaker of the language you're teaching, they assume I I assume they assume that you that don't you speak, speak Spanish. Spanish. That you don't speak Spanish. Yeah. Okay. But like in my upper level classes when we're in breaks and stuff. Right. When they're a little more comfortable and they're not going to like stress out and freak out in class. Mm-hmm. Um, they know I speak Spanish. You know, sure. We would talk on the breaks secretly because okay. we're not supposed to talk on the breaks either. <laughs> but um, <laughs> It was very rule oriented language school. It was. And I worked for them in Colombia as well. And there they used to record all of the classes. So not getting away with it there okay but in mexico it was a little more lax so they recorded the courses in colombia yes okay for like video recording or audio no it recording? was an audio there was a microphone on the top on the in the ceiling and Is then that so they could listen to it or for the student to take it home no it was random randomly every month or every two months we would get um like Feedback? an evaluation okay and we would never know which class it was gonna be so what is that legal now Data protection policies? I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't see. I mean... Is there a camera in here somewhere? <laughs> or a microphone? We signed a contract, too, so... Okay, the, we so knew you was, knew that it was We there. knew that okay. basically everything was recorded. Okay. And then they would pick one. Okay, so you jumped to Colombia there real quick. Like, you I'm went sorry, from yes. Mexico... No, it's okay. You went from Mexico to Colombia? Yeah, there was actually seven years in between there. But okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to go into that, or would you want to stay? Oh, with? there was not much happened in those seven years. Oh. I went back to the United States. Um, I worked uh, to pay off some debts, mm-hmm. like the fact that I started university and sure. didn't finish it. I did go back to school mm-hmm. at one point. Um, I took some courses, some general ed courses at the local college. Okay. And then I was getting tired of there again, being there again. So I went to Columbia. Okay. Again to teach. Yes. At the same school, same company. Why Colombia? That's <coughs> uh, always a dangerous country. It's interesting for, in my head, that yeah. you should ask that because there is this reason I specifically picked Colombia. Um, so my accent in Spanish was very Mexican when mm-hmm. I came back from the US for obvious reasons. Right. Um, and that is not considered a prestigious accent. 
Ah. Not that I care at this point. Like, back then I did. Right. And according to the Royal Spanish Academy, the most prestigious and accurate accent is not Spain, but Colombia. (laughs) Yeah, this this comes from Spain. Okay. (laughs) They stated that Colombia has the most neutral, proper accent in the language. Okay. So I actually went there to learn the Colombian accent to kind of... And I I was successful for a while. Uh I reverted to some sort of amalgamation of gringo mexican colombian now but were you living in bogota i was i was in the capital i was thinking like what is the capital city okay bogota that's right Mm -hmm. okay in the capital city in colombia again working with languages teaching english Mm -hmm. yep working on the accent developing the accent did you enjoy living in colombia no because uh i had culture shock okay yeah from mexico not america well See, the thing I found in Mexico is a lot of, like, minor details in culture are the same. Like, restaurant culture and bathroom culture and all of that kind of stuff. It's the same. And I assume that's because it's so close. Um, But in Colombia, everything was different. Mm -hmm. Like, you had to carry toilet paper around with you because bathrooms didn't have toilet paper. Okay. Yeah. Um, There are no hosts or hostesses at the restaurant. So if you go to a restaurant and you stand there waiting for a host or hostess... All of the other customers start staring at you, and it gets embarrassing for a shy person like me. Okay. And uh, there was a lot of little things like that Mm -hmm. that just added up to I was super depressed and stressed out, and I had to go back to the States. How long did you stay in Columbia? Uh, Nine months, I think. Okay. Yeah. Were you living in an an apartment or in a student? I lived in quite a few places, actually. (laughs) So I (laughs) I was staying with a friend at first. Um, who was working for some oil company and he had a spare room. Mm-hmm. And then I moved uh, to another friend's house where he had a room that I could rent. And then he like left there. So we went downtown and rented two rooms at a like, it's like a villa. It was an amazing house actually. It was really old. It's kind of okay. cool. Like a private room in a villa. Yeah. Cool. And uh, but that was horrible because all I had was a mattress, one of those thin mattresses. That was it. That was all I had. <laughs> there was nothing. Else. I mean, I was living out of my suitcase. Yeah. And uh, this is probably part of the problems I was having mentally with living there. And I think that's it. Yeah. And I used to have to. The buses are like really Super full. full. Yeah. yeah. Like, and the doors they don't require the doors to be closed. So. Okay. It is not uncommon for me to go to work with a leg hanging out of the bus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it was not pleasant. Well, you were there to work on your accent. Right. And you got another, like, you know, outside of the United States, like another cross-cultural living experience, learning experience. Yes, and don't let me, I mean, Colombia is a great place. Yeah. Like, it is. And, like, I I look back, that was all on me, the whole not enjoying it there. Because there were a lot of things that I just, didn't even see because I wasn't in the right mindset. Okay. But Colombia is beautiful and even Bogota is beautiful. Okay. And uh, there's, yeah, it's a great place to go. I would love to go back. Okay. But um, it's expensive. So as a tourist or to work? Um, I don't know. Both. I do like, yeah. I like staying in places for long periods of time. So mm-hmm. getting a job would be important. Getting the right job. Yeah. The same job would have been great, actually. Okay. I left on good terms, so. Okay. They will still hire me again. It's nice. So, let's talk about. Um, okay, 
So now you've you studied Spanish in high school for five years. You've lived in Mexico. You've lived in Colombia. You are a bilingual person at this time, Spanish and English. Mm-hmm. What takes you to Turkey? Mm. This is where it gets interesting. <laughs> okay, so um, I had been working at McDonald's as a human resources manager okay. for actually while I was working at Columbia. When I was in Colombia, I was actually I took a leave of absence to go there, mm-hmm. and with the intention of not coming back, but I came back, so I still had my job waiting for me. And I came back in like April or something, right before the season started for the summer months. And um, one of the one of the things I we I was working at in a beach town, mm-hmm. and so we have a lot of uh, J ones, I think, the student visas that right. come in, and we work they they work for us like. In the wintertime, there's five people that work in the store. Mm-hmm. In the summertime, there's 150 people that work in the store. So you're hiring summer workers from... Okay, I, okay that makes sense. Yeah. From all, other countries. Yeah. All over the place. Like yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We had, so it's a work and travel, basically. It, it is, exactly. They're yeah. all work and travel. Um, and at the end of the summer, uh, due to, I don't know, time differences for school starting and things like that, like the Ukrainians and Russians tend to go first uh-huh. back home. And then for like a month, we need workers and the Turks stay there for longer. So I used to have uh, Turkish employees. And of course, I always make friends with my employees. I have some really close friends. And I met uh, Berkay was his name. Mm-hmm. And he was from Turkey. And he asked me one day, you know, we were talking about my travels and things like that. And mm-hmm. he asked me, he's like, why don't you go to Turkey? Yeah. And I said, oh, I don't know. Um, I'd have to get a job, and he asked me for my CV, and then two weeks later, I got a phone call from someone in Turkey offering me a job, Okay. and then two weeks after that, I went to Turkey. <laughs> so, Just like that. It was that quick? It was, yes. Izmir. Uh, so I actually went to Bursa at first. Okay. Yes. So tell our listeners what is significant about Bursa. Bursa is the old capital of the Ottoman Empire. Right. It was one of the old capitals of the Ottoman Empire. It's also where I think Osman Bey is um, buried. Most of the sultans are buried there. Yeah. Right. And it's home to the world famous Iskender. Oh, right. Yeah. Iskender. Iskender. The funny thing is I never ate Iskender, even though it's one of my favorite Turkish foods. What? I never had it when I was in Bursa. Yeah. Okay. Okay, you got to go back right now. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I was going to have it my first week I was there, but I was by myself. Mm-hmm. And they don't have hosts or hostess either in <laughs> Turkey. And so I was standing there Richard, waiting what for is someone. Your, what to, is your deal with hostess and hostess? Yeah. Well, it's, that's how the American culture is. And it was, but I had learned from my experiences in Colombia. I'm like, oh, okay. And the guy, somebody actually did come to me and said something in Turkish. And okay. I said, hi, because that's all I could say. And I walked okay. away. Okay. And I ate at Arby's. No, oh, thank you. I was at the Iskander place. No, thank you. And I, I, I had to point at the menu. Yeah. Yeah. And um, she kept saying. That's how we all start out, right? We she's point. Like, blah, 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 blah. And I said, Evet, yes. <laughs> and I ended up getting all the extras, large size. I know at one point she said, what would you like to drink? And I just said, yes. So I got a Coke. <laughs> and yeah. There's a Buk Iran coming with that. Mm. Okay, so Bursa, so I know you, the reason I know you, I know you've, 
I we've never met. We met for the first time a couple of weeks ago, but I knew I, I knew of you in Izmir. Right. Right. Yeah. After five <clears throat> weeks, I uh, moved to Izmir. I am um, okay. I had a really bad that job that I got. So Berkai Berkai didn't work out. No Berkheim well no it was it wasn't his fault. Okay Berkai is still a good guy. Yeah Berkai's okay. my friend. I, I got I, he let me stay I stayed with his parents my okay. first few weeks. Cool. I was in Bursa. No he he actually gave my CV to a friend of his who gave it to the school. Okay. And this school called me. The school offered me what I didn't know anything about payment oh. and I thought it was sounded like okay that sounds like enough money. It wasn't. Uh, they promised a lot of things that they never came through on, like place to live, right. help with the visa, right. a paycheck, right. and I never got any of those things. Right. And I was working 70 hours a week yeah. with no days off. The next two I worked for Just were great. exploiting like, you know, native Or speakers. the next three I worked for. I worked for three more in Izmir. Okay, I'm going to cut that out of the podcast. Yeah. They're great. <laughs> the ones I, the ones in Izmir are okay. The, the ones in okay. So the Bursa language school experience horrible, but yeah. then you you take a bus. This was also like a private one, okay. so this wasn't. I mean, like a, not a franchise. It was a privately owned business. Okay, so, so they might be struggling more financially, and sure. they just want to as as is deserved for the way he treated me. Okay, so um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, I had a friend in in Bursa that I'd made, mm-hmm. and he sent my CV to a school in Izmir. Okay. They called me uh-huh. in the middle of class. So I answered the phone and walked out on the balcony, accepted the job, finished my day of work, went home, packed, and got on a bus for yeah. Izmir. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't owe that man anything right. after having me work five weeks there, 70 hours a week without pay. And you're working in Turkey, language schools? Our listeners might want me interested. You're working on Sunday as well. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, and then I started working in, in Izmir. And I worked there for six years. For our listeners who, I mean, language schools are very popular in Turkey because not only do they offer like English language courses, they offer like how to take all these different standardized tests that Turks have to take. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Turkish students, man, they go to high school during the week on Saturdays and Sundays. They're in language courses studying standardized tests mm. and some of those tests are in english right if they want to go into an english language program in university is that right i f- i've forgotten uh, well there are certain ones that i wouldn't teach as a native speaker right like the yoktil and i mm. believe yoktil is one for um it's a i think that's for getting into college for, that's right and they have an english one okay so it's like the sat basically kind of well, well i think the yds the yds uh-huh. is actually more like the sat okay. in that aspect okay or at least for the english portion i really don't know much about those tests yeah but Dude, i i because there's a lot of memorization they have no speaking or listening sections right so it's um it's different so yeah it's reading and it's writing right that's yeah. what it is okay i'm i wouldn't even say there's writing Okay. I think it's mostly multiple choice questions. Okay. Maybe short answer. Ah. Fill in the blank. So you get to Izmir. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about learning Turkish. Okay. Is that complicated? Yes. Well, I mean, the, for the first time I was learning a language outside of the language tree, language family mm-hmm. that I had known previously. Like, 
I learned like Latin and Spanish and French are all in the same family, right? They all come from Latin, right. obviously. And um, so there were a lot of crossovers. Grammar is the same. Vocabulary is very similar. Things like that. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, I'm learning a language from another language branch. Okay. And another, like the f- Spanish and Spanish and French are particle-driven preposition-driven languages, Mm -hmm. whereas uh, Turkish is agglutinating, meaning it has lots of suffixes and infixes and prefixes to change the everything, Mm -hmm. meaning, person, everything. And uh, so it was was difficult to kind of get into uh, the mindset for it. Okay. But um, I actually started, like, obviously, when you're learning a language at a school, it's different. Right, you have a teacher. I did not ever study Turkish. Okay, I because I, I never had time because all of the language schools have the same schedule. So any of the language courses that offered Turkish offered those courses at the same time I was working. Okay, so I never got to um, go to a class. But um, my first thing that I started doing, and I didn't speak any Turkish um, when I got there except for a few words, obviously, no full sentences. Mm -hmm. And um, I paid attention to advertisements for international brands. Okay. So like Coca-Cola was like open happiness and enjoy and things like that. Right. And these are the same in English. So I was able to pick out like, oh, okay, so that's, that's happiness. That's, and then the same thing with like Snickers, like you're not yourself when you're hungry type thing. Okay. So I actually used advertisements to learn some really basic grammar. Coca-Cola and Snickers. So you're learning basically like adjectives, vocabulary, those mm-hmm. like maybe some yeah. adverbs. And okay. a little bit of grammar. Okay. I, I, I did buy a grammar book from okay. the bookstore. So I was kind of teaching myself. Well, at this point, are you using like YouTube videos or like, you know, you're talking, you've, you got some friends at this point, you know. I have some friends, like my coworkers. So, uh-huh. I mean, other English teachers at school who mm-hmm. are Turkish. Mm-hmm. And so they would... Um, you know, I would learn things. I would listen. Listening was a big thing for me. Like, um, for the first few months, it was all just observing and listening to other people. Okay. Getting intonation and things like that. And then, because um, intonation and stress was actually really easy for me, I realized, because I had been listening the right. whole time and I could follow the rhythm. Um, and then I would, like, try out new grammar and I would ask them uh-huh. and they would say no usually but and then help me figure out the right way to do it could you get the intonation like when i hear john sue talk to her parents it is very melodic mm-hmm. it, it sounds more beautiful when i when i hear oljai speaking to john sue oljai doesn't really intonate the words like john sue does i don't know why mm. you know what i'm saying i never noticed that but I think like, you're right. Listen to them talk in Turkish. Like I mean, John one Sue's thing is you'll find... Bubbly. You, but, uh, there's also a difference in the way we, you have the male and female speaking the language. Okay. So so um, there's, a, there's a gender issue here. Yeah, when in any language. Okay. Um, but it might be more more pronounced. I guess the in Turkish, the men can sound more angry because a lot of people think that Turkish is not a pretty language. And I completely disagree with that. Okay. Because Why? I used to because I love it. It's yeah. I think it's gorgeous. I used to listen to a radio talk show with this woman speaking. I had no idea what she was saying, but it sounded amazing. Okay. And um yeah. So I think it it actually is a beautiful language. But like I don't know, like um yeah, you know how in English we have the rising intonation at the end for mm-hmm. questions. 
Whereas in Turkish, it's more like it rises and then falls. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's the same in Kyrgyz. Yeah, the stress, the stress falls at the end of the base verb before the uh, before the question ending. So verb, yeah, base verb, then the. Uh, it's not a suffix. suffix. It's a because yeah, it's, it's a disconnected, but it's the question. And then it comes back down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you have like for your you can also like one of my favorite things in Turkish was like was the varya, which is in equivalent to like you know how over there there's the blah 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 blah, so you'll say in Turkish you'll be like blah 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 la varya, yeah. And then and I used to love that part. It's like a, a you know your starting sentence right to um and it works also when you're doing things with like the hani and the yani which are yani. no matter what they try to tell you mean the exact same thing <laughs> <laughs> yani yeah but um <clears throat> anyway uh yeah and so i learned that way and then had friends and eventually had friends that didn't speak english mm-hmm. okay. and that was much more uh well, you're more difficult, but it it's made more it, immersed. Yeah, right? when, which is was my goal, I guess, because okay. I did want to learn Turkish. Yeah, originally was only going to stay for a year. Okay, but you've been to Izmir. You, I have. I lived in Izmir for Izmir. five years. Yeah, Izmir is really hard to leave. It is hard to leave. Yeah, those ferry boats. Yes, I would go back today just to ride another. Izmir ferry has boat. everything. It has woods, mountains, beaches. You know, still water, city, country. It's all mixed together. And it's kind of it does have food. lots of lots of seafood, lots of yeah, kumpir. Of yeah, we're gonna have kumpir tonight, which is a baked potato, but they're with everything in it. They're like not really everything. baked potatoes, <laughs> but we'll see how it turns out. <laughs> um, okay, so in six years of living in Turkey, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. Is that longer than Mexico and Colombia combined? Combined. Okay, so there's the true love right there, Mediterranean, Turkish. But your Turkish is you also fluent in Turkish. I was very fluent. I'm rusty now. I think okay. I think I would need to go back for a few weeks to. Um, like did you enjoy working there? Did, I know you enjoyed living there, I, but did you I enjoy did teaching? enjoy working there? Okay. Yeah, I started I started teaching TOEFL there. Okay, and which is test prep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I developed the uh, curriculum for my school. Okay. And um, then brought it over to my next school. Okay. And absolutely enjoyed teaching TOEFL because... So this is like you're a... Te- I mean, you're developing curriculum. You're putting together materials. I mean, you're working. I mean, this yeah. is something... You, would, you wouldn't do that unless you liked what you were exactly. doing. Yeah, because they actually had curriculum when I got there. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't speak for the success rate of the students before, but I did not like the curriculum. It was okay. tedious. It didn't make any sense. Okay. It was weird rotations and... So I fixed it. Yeah, I had, I mean, the majority of my students were university students. Because if they fail, they come back to the prep year. They're not allowed to go to right. the university, which they're already accepted would, in the university. You would think that would be enough motivation for them. You think. <laughs> but I actually do know a lot of stories about, like, students of mine who are like, yeah, I went to prep school three times. I'm like, oh, okay. What happened? Yeah. Because <laughs> something failing. happened. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't show up. You need a B. You need a B one. You need a yeah in between B one B two to start your curriculum, and we had all the same 
I know the books you're talking about, the, the publishers are approaching the universities every single day, you know, Peterson, Cornell's, all the major players are there, right? So it's just like every, every year it seemed like we were getting new material, mm. right? And it was just, we had good teachers. A lot of us had CELTA certificates, you know, we were supposed to be doing research. So the, the university was sort of serious about the faculty. So I think the faculty, we were, I think we were, I, I know we were all, the majority of us were qualified, I think, as English language instructors. I get big on that sometimes, but yeah, I shouldn't get that big on that. But um, okay, so let's go back to, okay, so you leave Turkey. Yes. Because you want to go back home and finish and complete your degree. Correct. All right, so you go back home. You have now successfully graduated with a degree in? A uh, major in Spanish and a minor in applied linguistics. From Salz the From greatest Salisbury. university, Salisbury. S the greatest university in Salisbury. Is Salisbury. Salisbury University. <laughs> you are, we've talked about, you've, you've been here for a couple of weeks. We've talked about you want to go to graduate school. Yes. What do you want to study in graduate school? So I want to go into Hispanic applied linguistics. Okay. Yes. Focusing on second language acquisition. What, was, what does that mean for somebody who doesn't know what that means? So like, um, applied linguistics is a really broad topic. It involves a little bit of descriptive linguistics, but mostly sociolinguistics. So, you know, a lot of like how can linguistics affect the world and make it a better place because mm -hmm. that's the goal of a linguist. And um, second language acquisition is studying how people learn languages, and that feeds into creating the pedagogy for teaching the language. Right. And the reason, well, I absolutely fell in love with linguistics when I took it as a minor. Um, and the reason I wanted to do this is because I taught English and Spanish as a second language, um, and I noticed very quickly that English pedagogy and the teaching styles and the books and the materials we have are well thought out, logical, and fast. Mm -hmm. People can learn English within, I mean, with the right class, if in the right hours, you can, within a few months, you can speak um, a fairly decent level of, of English. Right. And not so much with Spanish. There are no full immersion program materials. There are they seem to never follow one order. And so I've noted that it's a need. No one's really studied the way Spanish is taught mm -hmm. enough, I think. Because even like you have the Cervantes Institute, which is like they're the like they have a test that would be considered like the TOEFL for okay. Spanish. Okay. And so they also have their own rules for how the language should be taught guidelines is it, a, is it also a publishing company it, no okay no but they do um so it's a testing. license it's like ets it is it okay. is but they they license out their like methods uh -huh. but they're not good okay because i've used their books and it's slow the students don't grasp the way they do when we teach english okay. and i mean it requires a lot more I mean, obviously, the teacher has to work, right? There should be effort on the teacher's part. But lots of times when you're teaching English, there isn't much effort mm -hmm. in some of the books. And some of the topics are almost self-explanatory the way that they're laid out. Right. And that doesn't happen at all. In the, I had to use a lot of supplemental materials and rewriting 
some of the order mm-hmm. of the chapters mm-hmm. in these books and um it shouldn't be that way so do you see yourself creating a book for i mean spanish that's where the money is isn't learners? it? learners yeah. I, i don't know is it i i, I assume publishing okay. that's like that's would you work with a publisher or would you go ahead and just create a method create the book create the method the activities no, i would probably the units and then sell it publisher probably okay working with a publisher yeah okay why don't i mean that sounds like a fantastic idea yeah have you enjoyed your trip to germany yes yeah because now like you you've never been to this part of germany right east germany i'd never been to any part of germany really it's your first time to germany uh i've been in airports before okay Frankfurt and Berlin. Okay. So how did you, did you, I mean, you're leaving this weekend. Have you enjoyed your trip? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What's it, what's the top, top part of the trip? The top part of the trip. The most exciting part of the trip. Um, uh, wandering around cities. Yeah. That's like a thing I like to do. So like you visited Dresden. Leipzig, you visited Leipzig. Dresden. Yeah. yeah. You saw a little bit of Berlin? Yes, and we'll see more this weekend. Okay. So, yeah, it's been like, I hope you've had a good experience here. Like, it's a, yeah, Dessau is a... It has its own charm. Yeah. <laughs> it was destroyed completely. That's When are they going to rebuild it? <laughs> they're not. They, they only took priority in certain cities like Dresden and Leipzig and, you know, Like five kilometers from here, they were manufacturing uh, planes, you know, that were bombing. Like, and so they, and then over here, there was like ammunition depots right. and stuff. This whole city was wiped. Hmm. <clears throat> You're working for a organization in America that helps immigrants, migrants, refugees. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, tell us what you're doing right now. Okay, so I work. For, I actually work for a mediation uh, company. It's a nonprofit. They work in mediation mostly, which is so the, nonprofit means how how is the project funded? Is it through grants? Or? Okay. So there's um, there's a large larger like umbrella organization, also nonprofit that. Mm-hmm that funds all the different local community mediation centers. And so they offer mediation services. So it can be anywhere. Sometimes it's um, court mandated where it's something where the, uh, the courts are like, okay, you guys don't need to take this to court. You can have mediation to solve this problem. Wait, give us an example of what you don't need to take to court. Like for example, someone damaged someone's car and they're trying okay. to sue them for it but okay. it's like their cousin or something it could be anything but this is mostly like in the, what's the correct term like latino communities or no Hispanic no, no that's a different aspect i'll get to that part okay i'm giving you the overall of the the company of uh, the mediation organization okay. and community mediation can be used for anybody it's free to everyone if you have an argument with your brother or your sister i can use it you can use it okay. um if you like your brother and sister who's going to take care of the parents now that they're old right okay. you're planning a party and you can't agree on something like literally any kind of or um so there has dispute. to be some kind of conflict or disagreement mm-hmm. and they search out for the mediate so the mediator or? the mediator in community mediation the it's called alternative dispute resolution and okay. the community mediation is the type of that the mediators do not offer solutions or show sides mm-hmm. they simply um 
that's called reflecting. They ask questions back to each people to make sure that they are communicating with each other. Okay. And then they write on the board their the meet participants' ideas to solve. So the participants come up with their own solutions with no interference from the mediators. There are other types of mediation. Is it difficult to remain impartial? Sometimes. Um, Sometimes? When you're new, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It when is. you're new, you, exactly. You, it takes a while to get used to it. Yeah. But I've only observed so far. I haven't okay. mediated yet. Ah, okay. We have to do two full mediation observations before we can actually meet. So mediate. what case did you sit in on? I'm not allowed to talk about it. Okay, that's it's completely confidential. Confidential. Yes. Date shoots. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it was a disagreement out of business, though. Okay. So, so, it's about money. so it was actually it was actually a facilitation. We would call it a facilitation when it's a large group like that because uh-huh. there were like twenty people. Okay. So that's one aspect. Mm-hmm. What's so another aspect? The facilit- The one thing that our director does is she also facilitates uh, for the community in general. And so during the pandemic, she got leaders within the community and through them connections to other leaders within the communities, businesses, um, other nonprofits, things like that, to create a coalition of over 40 companies that have created this, it's called the Lower Shore Vulnerable Populations Task Force. Mm -hmm. And they, we help, um, that's where I was pulled on as, originally I interned as an interpreter. Mm -hmm because there is a Latinx population. We have a large Latinx population and we have a large Haitian population. Mm -hmm. And um, I was taken on, I was was an intern helping uh, with interpretation and then whatever else the task force needed. Mm -hmm. And then after I graduated, she asked me, she offered me a job. Okay. And um, I'm doing the same thing basically for the mediation. I'm also a mediator, but but at the same time I'm continuing the task force with okay. the task force so i've um i'm more like a communications liaison for everyone there okay. i've created a website and i send out all the emails and a lot of stuff and um yeah so we help uh we help community members that normally wouldn't have access to services access those services and more importantly we help organizations remove the barriers that they whether advertently or inadvertently have placed in front of their services mm-hmm. like one of our biggest things that i'm focused on is language access you know when you go like hey we offer we offer law services to immigrants that want to get citizenship right, right. but they only have their services in english right so an immigrant doesn't speak english usually mm-hmm. and they don't offer interpreters and they have no information in any of the languages that they're offering services to. Mm-hmm. So we are we work with the companies to create plans for how they can. And we've actually gotten funding for um, from the government. We one of our members is a senator. Okay. And they've actually pushed through legislation to get funding for interpreters for these companies. So that let me ask a very interesting question then, because I know what the answer is here in Germany. Do you have to speak English in America to be integrated into that community, into that society? Is it necessary to speak English? Well, as an American, what do you think? Like, not as, a wor- not as you're working for your organization, but just as an American. What do you mean integrated, though? Integrated, like working, living, like, you know, having not a necessarily. life. I mean, you're very limited if you don't speak English, yes. Okay. There are always jobs for people that don't have the language skills limited or very limited very limited okay i I don't want to say very limited but that's okay i'll cut that out no it's not like it also depends on where you live 
Like, yeah. I mean, in an area like I live, you're going to be working at McDonald's or cleaning houses or hotels. That's it. I mean, okay, so the amount, okay, so ling- linguistic ability or the degree of, of fluency of English can, of course, it, it might be not determinate, but it's going to be somewhat determinate of the type of work. Absolutely. Your job prospects, okay. it influences your job prospects okay. a lot. Yeah. But I mean, other places, you know, it would. I always tell the examples to my students, like, go to Little Italy, go to like Chinatown, go to like. Yeah. You I know, mean, there's and, always and, places. And find people and they're perfectly like happy and living healthy and they don't speak a word of English. Right. In a larger city, that's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. But remember, I live in a very small city. That's so. right. Salisbury. Salisbury. Yes. The population is 30,000. Okay. And 10,000 of those are students from the university. Okay. So so what is the Latino population in your city or in your oh, that's county? I mean, I think we're actually right on par for the demographics. I think we're at like... Um, 13%? No, it's higher than that. I think it's like... I think it's anywhere between 16 and 18% okay. is, um, okay. is Latinx. Yeah. So out of the 300 and... How many people live in America? 360 million? 330 million, I think. Like, the, I know that, like, I don't want to aggregate the whole, like, Spanish-speaking people into one, like, like one category, but it is 35% of the U.S. population? Could be. I'm not sure the new, the new demographics came out, and okay. I don't remember all of the, I remember that um, white has gone down to 61%. Okay. Yeah. From 75. So you hear that, Germans? Take some Spanish lessons before you go to the States. <laughs> I remember there was one one statistic a long time ago. I'm not sure how accurate it was, and mm-hmm. including second language speakers, 54% of the population spoke English. Excuse me, Spanish. Okay. But um, like I said, I'm not sure. I don't know what the requirements were for that. Like My mother speaks a little Spanish. She's 80 years old. Yeah. Like somebody who takes Spanish one, is are they included in that or... You know, do you have to be fluent? She would be, yeah. That'd be. That'd be. <laughs> but. Okay, so that's one part of the job, mediating, like, in a from a legal perspective. Mm-hmm. What's What's another aspect of your job that you would um, like? To, you know, could you tell? Could you talk, Could you talk about? Well, um, with the More task force, with the task force, we do um, we do events, and we we service three county areas, mm-hmm. and. Um, well, I think we service more than that, but we have three main county areas that we service for the task force, and we do um, outreach uh, at least once a month mm-hmm. in those areas where we uh, provide food, free food. Like, it'll be usually it's two boxes. Usually mm-hmm. it's a box of produce and then a, a box of dry goods okay. and perishables. Mm-hmm. And all of our service providers also will set up a table there and offer information on how they can reach the community you know sign them up for things we do things like we um, school system is part of our um, organization Mm -hmm. so they help uh, parents sign up their children for school Mm -hmm. Um, right now it's big on getting immunizations we've been doing the covid vaccine Mm -hmm. we often have covid vaccines available at our um, events okay and this time of year we also have the flu shot Mm -hmm. and then um we have people helping with rental assistance and um finding a job college assistance okay and you know so the full spectrum of opportunities yeah we when we bring it to the community we move the location within the county to 
because not everybody has a car, so mm-hmm. we make sure that we're close, that everyone's available. Everybody can get there. That's key. Not everybody by has walking. a car. That's right. And so, are you using Spanish every single day when you're working? Uh, no, but I, at every event, yes. Yeah. Um, I do. I do translate. Like I'm translating the website mm-hmm. and translating the documents for our um, organization, the mediation organization, because right. that side was not in. It was one of the things that. You know, all of these companies, they don't have any information in, other right. than English. So that's part of my job is to uh, update okay. all of our documents so that they're also available in Spanish. Okay. And uh, But sometimes I do, like, scheduling, like, if I get a phone call in Spanish. But um, but normally I speak Spanish only at the events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, dude, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. I think... I think we can wrap it up, dude. It's been one hour. Well, Richard, I hope that uh, your life sounds extremely interesting. I like it. And uh, I hope that uh, you've enjoyed your time in Germany. Absolutely. And um, we wish you the best in accomplishing all your goals and dreams. And uh, we hope to see you soon. How about that? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming in. Dun, dun, dun. Last words? Um, Last words in Spanish. (laughs) I'm on the spot. Maybe something like, thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, gracias por escuchar a nuestro podcast. Espero que les hayan gustado. Perfect. Thank you for listening to Enlingua Podcast, live from Dessau. We hope you stay tuned for more episodes.